Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. So last week, we finished up our series on the Holy Spirit and the ways that the Spirit works in us. And we are now turning our attention this summer to thinking about the lectionary, these selected readings throughout a three-year cycle that the church hears over and over again, but really are the core of kind of what we want to teach and the ways to really get a full picture of the Bible on a Sunday morning through these three years. So this summer, we will be kind of going through the lectionary a bit. And this season during the summer, there's a name for it, Uh, for liturgically, and it's either called the season after Pentecost or ordinary time. And Naomi did such a great job last week of segueing us into this time of ordinariness, thinking about the Holy Spirit not only wants to work in extraordinary ways in our lives, but more times than not, he wants to work in the very ordinary, mundane parts of life. And so what does it look like in this time that we call ordinary to live into that spirit? So this week is the first part, and we are looking at Genesis 18. Now, one of the rabbis who wrote the Midrash, which is a commentary on the Bible, the Torah, made a comment in the first line of this passage that says that Abraham was sitting at the edge of his tent in the heat of the day. To find some reason why the Bible had a spiritual significance. He was looking for something of why the Bible would include the heat of the day. And Rabbi Yanai said that God made a hole in Gehenna, meaning hell, making the whole world intolerably hot to its inhabitants for a short while so that when the righteous are in pain and the rest of the world is at ease, we shall know that heat is beneficial to a wound for the righteous. So after a week like this in Houston, we are the righteous. But this story really is odd, isn't it? There are three visitors that come out of nowhere. Are they angels? Is it God? Is he one of them? Or is this the whole Trinity? Whoever they are, the text at the very least says that the Lord appeared to Abraham though it seems that he was unaware of their true identity, he waits on them hand and foot as if they are God. But this really is a good opportunity to learn the rules of hospitality in ancient Near Eastern culture. You see, it would have been more shocking if Abraham didn't cater to his visitors than not. When someone came your way, whether you knew them or not, it was your obligation to care for them. They need not even ask for your help. It would have been an instant gut reaction to host as a host to tend for those who are walking through your area. Things have changed a little bit since then, hasn't it? But what this passage shows us is that Abraham is not just doing the bare minimum for his guest, but he is going over the top. He tells them, I'll get you something to eat. I'll see to it myself. And then in a frenzy, it says multiple times that he hurried from one place to the next, even running into the fields to pick the best from the herd himself. 
you may not realize just how big of a deal that was. Grown men didn't run. Great patriarchs who wanted to be respected by their family, their friends and servants, they didn't run. I mean, this story has echoes of the prodigal son, doesn't it? The father runs to greet the son and he has the fatted calf killed to celebrate his arrival. In the same manner, Abraham is throwing caution to the wind to be a great host. A lamb would have been great. No one would have batted an eye, but he orders steak for them instead. There is even enough bread to feed a small village and curds and milk on demand. He is the head waiter and the owner of this establishment. He doesn't leave it to his servants to attend to the guests. Rather, he stands off to the side as they eat, making sure that they have everything they need while also not imposing his presence on them. Not only does Abraham want them to be well-fed and refreshed, but he also wants them to feel safe and protected under his care. He doesn't know where they've come from or where they are going, but the roads could be dangerous out there. Bandits could be around any corner. They needed a moment of rest to rest their minds from the worries of the road. And so Abraham ensures their safety while resting under the shade of the tree. This really does say a lot about Abraham because he doesn't know that he is entertaining the presence of the divine, we can then assume that he would have done this for anyone walking past his tent. Abraham is a good man and a great host. Now, the blessing and curse of the lectionary is that we jump into a story without any context. The book of Genesis covers a lot in its 50 chapters, from creation all the way to Jacob's family moving to Egypt. But a good bit of the story revolves around Abraham and Sarah. And the question that continues to come up in this long section of Genesis is if Abraham and his family will trust God. This is the one God in the midst of a polytheistic world who called Abraham to leave his homeland and go to a land that would be given him. Oh, and his family would become a great nation. Time and again, God reiterates this promise. The stars in the sky, the sand on the shore will be like Abraham's descendants. And more times than not, Abraham struggles to trust in this divine promise. He'll throw Sarah under the bus to save his own skin. She's my sister, he'll say twice. He'll question God about how he could ever be the father of a great nation when he's never fathered one child. And then out of impatience, he has a child with Sarah's servant only for God to tell him that that is not the promised child. And each time this happens, the question reappears. Is God faithful to his promises? In almost every action that Abraham does, he is saying that he doesn't trust God to make good on his word. At every opportunity that Abraham can interfere, he does. Caught up in this story is Sarah. This woman has longed to be a mother and never received that joy. 
Many around her would have said that something was wrong, that she was either cursed or she had done something to deserve such a fate. But the years passed on. She was now 90, and the pain and hurt that used to keep her up at night, tossing and turning, has turned into a begrudging acceptance. It was not meant to be. And so she cannot help but roll her eyes and laugh at the mention of her becoming a mother from these strange visitors. Setting aside that they somehow know her name, it's again the divine promise that seems so laughable, so unbelievable given their situation. And yet she is the first of many women in the Bible whom God transforms their hopeless and seemingly limited circumstances by his limitless abundance. My, in, my mind instantly goes to Hannah, who for years longed to have a child and told God that if she would have one, she would dedicate her firstborn to him. And God listened to her cries and she bore Samuel, the great prophet of Israel. There's Elizabeth, also past childbearing age. And when her husband is told by an angel that they will conceive, he is struck speechless until his son, John the baptizer, is born. Wise old Elizabeth shares her first-time pregnancy experience with her much younger cousin, Mary, who was also told by an angel that she would conceive miraculously. In these stories, infertility plays a big part, but it is not the whole point though it is a commonality for Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth. The reason being, infertility is not just something that people are ashamed of or hurt by, but it is an awfully lonely journey, one that can make you feel like God has abandoned you or doesn't love you. It is deeply personal for individuals and couples, and you can go into a dark place and it can be hard to ever get out. And so, whether you can have children or not, the hopeless and lonely feeling, that is the link that connects these women to us, their family to our family. The circumstances may be vastly different, but we have all asked at one point or another, from deep in our soul in a moment of desperation, Is God faithful to his promise? And can he be trusted? An image that came to my mind this week uh, is one that is an icon. And Brandon, if you'll put the first slide up. This one depicts a scene from Genesis 18, what we just read. It was done by Andrei Rublev early in the 15th century. And it goes by two names. Either the hospitality of Abraham or the Trinity. In the background, you'll notice that there are three things happening. There is a house. So clearly, Rublev forgot that Abraham was a tent dweller, but that's supposed to be Abraham's house. There is a tree, which is supposed to signify the trees of Mamre that they were under while eating. And then there is Mount Moriah here in the far right. It just looks kind of like a light wave over them. But Mount Moriah comes up in a few chapters. But more than that, notice how the Trinity is sitting. There is an opening at the table, 
And it appears as if we are being invited not only into the icon itself, but to a seat at the table. It really is an invitation to sit and feast with them. Our reading says that Abraham stood nearby his divine guest under the tree, but that he wouldn't sit with them. Being focused on playing the role of host, he had more in common with Lazarus' busy sister Martha than Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Sarah, well, she was still in the tent, presumably. Even after hearing this great annunciation, her dreams finally coming true, she keeps her distance as well. And so this icon begs the question, who will sit with these divine guests? Who will set aside their busyness or fear and take a seat with the one who gives the promise? There is one final piece to this puzzle. Do you remember how the second half of Psalm 23 goes? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes, but further down. Brandon, if you'll put up the next one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Whose table are we sitting at in this psalm? It is no longer Abraham's, but the Lord's. If Genesis 18 shows how great of a host father Abraham was, Psalm 23 tells us that there is an even greater host, the one true host, you might say, of this banquet. Like Abraham, the Lord will spare no expense. Water from the purest spring, fragrant oil, and cups that cannot contain the abundance goodness that is given them. And like Abraham, he ensures that his guests will be protected and safe. While in the presence of this host, they shall fear no evil. And wherever they journey, their journeys takes them, he will be right there, rod and staff in hand. The answer we are given in Psalm 23 is that God is faithful and he above all else is to be trusted. Whatever you have gone through in your past, whatever you are going through right now, will you lay aside whatever is holding you back from taking your seat at this table? Will you trust that the Lord is good? Abraham, Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, Mary, all came to that conclusion themselves. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.